The country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia podcast. This is your host, Charlotte Stiari. I am an assistant professor of humanities at Singapore Management University in Singapore. Islamic organizations and movements in Indonesia have received a lot of attention lately, especially within the context of what analysts perceive to be the growing influence of conservative Muslim factions in mainstream politics. However, most analyses of Islamic organizations in Indonesia have focused on well-known and more established mass organizations such as Muhammadiyah or hardline groups such as the Islamic Defenders Front. Most analyses also tend to focus on older generation Muslim leaders and their followers. We actually don't know very much about younger Muslims and the kinds of religious teachings, trends, and organizations that appeal to them. One organization that has amassed a huge following among young Muslims is the Bandung-based Pemuda Hijrah. Led by charismatic young preachers such as Ustaz Hanan Ataki, Pemuda Hijrah is followed by millions of young people on social media. Their success among the youth can be attributed to a cool, hip image that cleverly converges youthful energy with revivalist Islamic teachings that conveys the message that to live a pious life is cool too. The group has developed largely under the radar of mainstream media, so their popularity has come as a surprise to many Indonesia observers. Who are the Pemuda Hijra and what do they and other groups like them tell us about the kinds of teachings and images that appeal to contemporary young Indonesian Muslims? To discuss the Pemuda Hijra and the phenomenon of Islamic youth movements in Indonesia, I chat to Dr. Quinton Tembi, who has spent most of the last year living in Bandung, West Java, to research the movement. Dr. Tembi is a research fellow at ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute in Singapore. He completed his PhD thesis on the rise of global jihadism in Southeast Asia at the Australian National University in 2017. Dr. Tembi is also a visiting fellow at the Department of Political and Social Change in the Australian National University's Coral Bell School of Asia and Pacific Affairs. Quentin, thanks for joining me on the show. It's really good to have you. Thanks for having me. Before we start, though, and, and going into detail about the fieldwork that you did and the work that you did with uh, the, the Pemuda Hijra, um, can I ask you, uh, first of all, for our listeners who may not be so familiar with the topic, could you tell us a little bit more about what Hijra means here in this context um, in contemporary Indonesia and also who the Pemuda Hijra is as a group and as a movement? Sure. Well, it's slightly confusing even perhaps to, to people who are followers themselves in Indonesia because Pumuda Hidra refers to two different things. First, it's a broad-based social movement. Pumuda means youth, Hidra means uh, emigration in Islam in Islamic history, um, signifying the, the time when the Prophet uh, Muhammad emigrated from Mecca to Medina and that marks the start of the Islamic calendar this is um, the most important date in Islam because it also marks the start of, of Islam as a political uh, and social community. Yeah. And so, so there's that Pumuda Hijra, which is, which is, I think of it as a broad-based kind of revivalist movement, uh, particularly among urban uh, youth, millennials, uh, typically middle class, but not always. That's one thing. The second use of the term Pumuda Hidra is actually an organisation that's 
that uh, pioneered this and, and is at the centre of the movement based in Bandung. And so they're a group, really a s- small group of organisers uh, that have, a, have their own mosque, have their own event organisation company, that, which is called Shift, uh, which is a clever play on the, 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 you know, the key shift in a, in a typical keyboard. Uh, and they're very tech savvy and they're very successful online and have millions and millions of followers. Uh, Can I ask when they started? Like, and who was the one who, who started this, this organization and, and, and this movement, particularly in Bandung, the group that you had close, um, close association with? Yeah, well, it's all really recent, which is one of the most interesting things about it too. So it's, it's really come about since 2015, I think, Pamuda Hidra was founded. They were quite a small group, and I started following them mid-last year. Even then, they were kind of sort of starting to get known outside of uh, Bandung, uh, but they weren't known nationally, you could say. You could, I mean, you couldn't say they were known nationally. And then it was really only about around about late last year that, for one reason or another, they really went viral online. And one of the things they've got is this this um, the star power and charisma of their their main leader and founder, uh, Ustad Hananataki. So was he the first person who who started this Pamuda Hijra group in in Bandung? Well, I think he's the he's certainly uh, one of a really small handful of people. Uh, he there's another guy called uh, Fanny Krismanda, mm-hmm. also known as Inong who's a, a well-known skateboarder, a professional skateboarder, or was in a previous life. And he does a lot of the event organizing and the social media um, marketing, for want of a better term. And so he's just as important, I would say, as, as Hana. So what do you think, I don't know, I don't know if you've um, had the chance to sort of speak to some of the original founders. So in 2015, like you mentioned before, uh, you know, one of the founders was a skateboarder, professional mm-hmm. skateboarder, right? What prompted the, the shift, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, which is yeah. the term they also use, uh, from that lifestyle, like you said, in the previous life to uh, sort of fronting this Islamic revivalist movement that, that has since become quite big? I think it's it's this handful of people, and as far as I can tell, they represent this pretty unique to Bandung uh, confluence of different uh, elements and, and interests that, that cross-pollinated at a particular time around 2015. So Bandung has a really vibrant uh, indie uh, music community, really vibrant DIY arts and, and so on community and skateboarding and parkour and and so just a really strong youth culture and uh, I think Hanan and and Inong and some of them just realized there was a I mean you can kind of analyze them like you might analyze a startup they mm. kind of figured out that there was a problem there in the market that that if they could find a solution to it could be really popular and and even better that it was a problem that not everyone realized was was even a problem and that was how do you both uh, be faithful to your religion and cool at the same time what i can see is is that there there is a kind of tension between subscribing you know for a young person subscribing to aspects of youth culture global youth culture like say um, skateboarding mm. and maybe going to concerts but then not getting involved with um, 
other aspects of global youth culture, like which might be, for example, recreational drug taking, that would then um, pose a, a religious problem and, and create a kind of tension and, and and so on. So I think this is this is just emerged as a way to resolve that tension. It's emerged pretty um, organically, I think, from the grassroots, and then it's been capitalised on by groups like Pumuda Hijra. But it's it's something there that's... I mean, you, walking around Bandung and living in Bandung, as it did for a lot of um, this year, you just see it in the culture there that, that there is a strong DIY mm-hmm. uh, culture. So, so that's why I've, I've termed this... Um, in one paper I did DIY Islamism because it, it definitely is a break from the traditional mainstream uh, religious institutions in, in Indonesia like Muhammadiyah, Nadatul Ulama. Mm. Uh, these, these groups, uh, these Pumura Hijra groups uh, don't have connections you know, to, the, to the mainstream groups and they're really kind of doing it themselves and making it up as they go along. That's really interesting because I guess like when I first heard about the phenomenon of Pamuda Hijra, right? Like when you think about the Pamuda or the young people, um, I always think like it's a little bit counterintuitive to think, you know, for young people to become even, you know, more pious, right? Like to be young, I, I often associate it with, you know, to, to want to rebel, to sort of like do your own thing um, and sort of reject authority. But in a way, these Pamuda Hijra are also doing that in their own way, in an Islamic way, to sort of, like like you said, not be affiliated with some of the more sort of established Islamic organizations. Would you say that that's sort of like a, an accurate sort of assessment of, of where they are in the spectrum of um, Islamic organizations in Indonesia? Well, yeah, trying to get a hold on, on their theology is, is quite a tricky thing as well. Yeah. And, and I, they're deliberately, a lot of the key players at least are quite, are quite cagey or at least reluctant to talk about where they sit al- along, I say, a theological spectrum. Yeah. But I, I think of them as, as, I mean, they are a broad spectrum. So you, mm. you do get, you know, a lot of ordinary Pomodohidra Followers or just people who are interested and, and follow them on online on Instagram, for example, are very ordinary, you know, mainstream um, urban you know, Muslim youth. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you have a Salafi right. uh, part of the Hijra movement, and the Salafis there's a there's a big um, center of them in Jakarta, in fact, called the Strangers, and they're famous for. Um, making a complete break with certain aspects of uh, mainstream culture, for example, music. So they include musicians uh, who en masse burned their instruments wow. and put it on YouTube and said, that's it, we're not going to play our instruments anymore, we're going to live a, a, as pure an Islamic lifestyle as we can. Uh, so, there's, so there's a range and, and there's a broad middle, I would say, which might be described as Salafi light. So... It's uh, preachers who are not saying you, you have to uh, relinquish everything in the mainstream culture, but you need to get on a path that ideally will take you down a process of purification. Can I ask who are some of the people who have been attracted to the Pumuda Hijra movement and, and what do we know about their demographics and also like you know, socioeconomic or, or, or political profiles? Well... That's a really good question, and and it can be answered with with some precision now. You know, using uh, uh, social media analytics. So, which which I've had some success getting getting hold of. For example, we know it's very urban, 
and we know that Bandung was the major center of it for a period of time up until the last sort of 18 months, mm -hmm. and now Jakarta and Bekasi is it just dwarfs any other location uh, for for Hydra followers. Just, just and this is just looking at uh, people who follow the main promoter Hydra, uh, you know, um, Instagram account. It's actually there's a slight majority to to women, so 53% of followers are women. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, the main age group, according to uh, the way Instagram breaks it down is 18 to 24-year-olds. Right. So, so it skews really young. It sounds like, you know, the sort of just, just left high school, early university kind of years. What do you think is their key to, you know, key of success here in, in attracting these young people to, to not just follow them on Instagram, but sort of like adopt the kind of lifestyle that they, that they are advertising or, or they're kind of sort of putting forward through their, through their presence? Well, I think people, you know, I think s certain of the preachers, they realize, for example, that to encourage young people to renew their faith, to, to become more pious and take on, and even, you know, pious in, in quite a conservative um, to Salafi way, uh, they, they realize that, for example, the Salafis uh, have very limited success. They're a real fringe at the, at the edges of the uh, uh, Muslim community in Indonesia. And, and so what they do is they use attributes of youth culture. They use everything that's cool that they think uh, will be uh, perceived as cool. And they, uh, they fuse that with, with sermons that then uh, address topics of relevance to uh, you know, young people. And they seem to have their finger on the pulse about this and really understand. Because they do, you know, some of them come from... Uh, these street communities, they, they, they're, they're young, the preachers themselves are young. And so, for example, they know, for example, uh, you know, being single and dating is a, is a hot topic. And so they, they'll put out uh, flyers and posters and put on events that are, that are all about how to be single and what to do about dating. And then when you get into the event, you find it's actually the, the, the real content is how, how to avoid dating and how to how to be, you know, uh, you know, uh, pure how, to, marriage. how to, to maintain your purity into your marriage. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. In terms of the actual teachings um, themselves, right? How Salafist and how conservative are the, are the teachings that are sort of being broadcast here? Like you said before in, in, you know, that these dating events, actually the main message is how to avoid dating, right? Mm. In terms of daily conduct, where where would you say they 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 stand here in terms of how young people should live their lives? Well, when we talk about the main uh, group in Bandung, Pramoda Hidra and, and Hananataki, they're very very much uh, they disseminate a kind of a mainstream conservative position, which is uh, aligned with say you know a lot of the kind of conservative discourse we saw come out around the anti Ahok two one two movement. And that is, uh, you know, that is not against the state. So they're, they're not, you know, um, in any way, you know, rebelling against the state. But they're, but they're certainly against um, certain aspects of, of what they would call liberalism, pluralism in mainstream society. And so quite often this expresses itself as anti-Shia. And uh, a real, I think, convergence point for a lot of the different uh, 
organizations involved in the, in the broader Hitra movement is anti-LGBT right. uh, discourse. That, that seems to unify them, in fact. I see. Okay, what about on um, sort of, I guess, issues such as polygamy, for instance, right? Um, are they sort of talking about that? Do, you, do they have a position about, about issues like that? How do they see, uh, for instance, sort of like more um, radical and militant movements uh, within Islam, mm. such as joining jihadi movements and all that? Like, what, how, how big is the spectrum here in terms of, you know, what they're tolerating and what they're not tolerating? Yeah, this, the spectrum's pretty wide and, and widening, I would say. But just to, to go back to the first question, they, they're very... Uh, I think strategic in in pitching themselves to the the general community. So they don't want to do anything that's going to put anyone off, like the Salafis do. They don't want to come across as exclusivist or too draconian. So uh, one of their mantras is, for example, um, you know, come as you are, we accept accept you as you are, because their their agenda is to take you down a path of of purification. So they're not going to start, you know, they're, they're not going around. You know, banging people over the head with theology, or you know, they have to wear this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the great, I think, one of the great symbolic kind of practices in the movement is, for example, tattoo removal. removal. So that just shows there is a there is a process though. Once you get oh, on it, right? That that there then will be provided to you an opportunity to have uh, perhaps free laser removal of your tattoos. Wow! Uh, so that's symbolic, I think, of, of the kind of process approach they take to it yeah are they being sponsored by um you know any sort of larger um islamic organizations you know in in order to sort of like um have a movement like this you need to have uh you know sponsors and and financial donors and all that right do we do do you know anything about you know how uh this particular group gets funded you know and and what are some of their fundraising activities well, it's, you know, it's changing so quickly. So earlier you could say, I think they had some Hizbut Tahrir influences and they certainly grew under the, um, the PKS governorship in West Java yeah. of Aher. Mm-hmm. And, they, and so they, they got a lot of sponsorship from, from the, the West Java government and they've got even more from the, the Bandung um, city government more, more recently under Ridwan Kamil. Um, no, under the the um, the Pemcot. Okay. So they've got they've cut a deal. They've got a sponsorship deal to create a skate park in the middle of Bandung, uh, which is going to be this Islamic themed space, which you know will be be basically um, you know controlled and operated by Pemuda Hitra. So I think, but, but since then it's gone even bigger than that. Now it's become. It's a fully fledged independent commercial operation. So, so they're not want for you know for for funding, and they're not wanting for funding, and and they're you know so they're able to get, for example, mainstream um, corporations to sponsor events and so on. They make a lot of money through that. They also make money through uh, putting on events, through sending you know speakers to events, through the whole sort of cottage industry that's grown up now around charismatic celebrity preachers mm. and some of those can make you know ten twenty thousand dollars 
um, just for, for one speaking event. And fill up like, you know, fields and stadiums. So, you know, and, and plus they also sell merchandise as well, uh, right, as I, as I checked out on, on their Instagram account. Um, I want to ask before, so you mentioned the relationship with uh, the, the Bandung City Council and also with, you know, the, the West Java government and also, interestingly, with PKS, um, mm-hmm. the Islamist Party. Um, can you talk about their political affiliation as well? Like, I know that um, at least with the, um, the, 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 the Pilkada or the regional elections that we saw in the middle of the year, um, analysts, including yourselves, have, um, has, have spoken about uh, their role in actually garnering support for uh, the, the PKS candidates uh, that, of course, you know, lost um, in, in the election. But they received much more, you know, much more votes than, than, than people had in pollsters had predicted. Mm-hmm. And um, analysts, including yourselves, have um, attributed that to the, you know, the involvement of grassroots organizations like the Pemuda Hitra. Can you, can you talk about, you know, not just their political affiliation, but also their potential uh, political influence for the future? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's there's nothing really in this movement that that helps the current current uh, you know the Jokowi government. They they uh, they they definitely do skew to the opposition to supporting, uh, uh, for example, PKS, and they did as you mentioned in the West Java election. So so what happened there was uh, they as per um, you know, tradition now in, in among most Hydra organizations, they, they tried to stay neutral, but then there was a kind of a surreptitious video released uh, by someone that showed Hanan Ataki, uh, the Pomoda Hydra founder, um, telling people to go out and vote for the PKS Garindra um, pairing. And this election. was a last minute support towards uh, the PKS candidates. Yeah, so that was a last minute kind of, you know, uh, 11th hour. And uh, and and campaign and and it seemed to yeah as you say seemed to lead to a surge in votes for that pairing and and put them within striking distance of winning they didn't they didn't win ultimately they mm. they lost that election but um but they came close and and so I did wonder for a while there whether this would emerge as a pattern and we'd see this for example happening at the presidential elections at a national scale but I think I think the movement I think movement keep movement players and organisers are kind of divided between or conflicted between uh, you know taking the movement in a more political direction versus uh, enjoying the kind of uh, commercial success they're having and working more at a societal level where they're where they're able to change the norms and values of society perhaps more deeply through a kind of civil society process can't they do both it seems to me that you know both may be interlinked no I think I think that yeah. So it's a broad movement with lots of moving parts. So I think they will, to some extent, uh, do both. We we will see both. But but I think there is a tension there for some of them between um, you know signing up with a political uh, a particular political party or being seen to be close to certain political parties uh, versus being uh, you know something that's just embedded in the mainstream that anyone can potentially be recruited into. Right. So you don't see them, for instance, either mobilizing themselves or being mobilized by an external political group or party, um, you know, in in the upcoming 2019 presidential and legislative elections, for instance. Well, it hasn't really happened to date. And and I've been slightly surprised by that. 
And there's probably an interesting backstory to that, to, you know, to explain why that hasn't happened yet. So I would say for now, yes. But who knows? I mean, every uh, this movement every month or two really surprises me. Something new happens. It goes in another direction. There's some new element. So, uh, you know, I think the Jokowi government so far has done a really uh, has been has been quite successful in co-opting aspects of of the Islamist uh, movement, um, not just appointing a, um, a an Islamist uh, VP candidate, but also you you know you might have seen if you're watching social media earlier in the month there was a Hydra with Jokowi campaign um, that became the number one trending topic on Twitter, and that was a pro Jokowi pro government Hydra messaging campaign that as far as I could tell was was driven mostly by bots online so it had obviously been you know bought and paid for by somebody uh, and wasn't wasn't a sort of authentic uh, you know hydra sort of part of the hydra movement but but yeah so that that's kind of complicating and dividing the, the movement and and I think that the real action is going to be how it changes Indonesian society over the longer term, not what happens next year. That that sort of leads me to to one, what I want to ask you next. Uh, so we've been um, spending uh, the, the the last twenty minutes or so talking specifically about Pemuda Hijra, right? Um, are there other um, sort of youth based movements like uh, and uh, um, revivalist movement like Pemuda Hijra um, in other parts of Indonesia, even, you know, uh, even though they're not as big as Pemuda Hijra, for instance, do you see more of these organizations and movements sort of springing up across the archipelago? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, there's Hijra movements everywhere now. There's Hijra groups everywhere, I should say. And, uh, you know, they're all interlinked online, they're networked online, they're in Surabaya, they're in, you know, they're in Samarinda. What surprised me about it, actually, is that I don't see uh, a close analogue to anything like this, where you get the convergence of um, tech-savvy millennials and, uh, you know, revivalist Islamist movement in other parts of the Muslim world. I mean, you know, I'm prepared to be corrected about that, but, but as far as I've seen... Um, so far, I haven't seen anything quite like. Right. Okay. Because I was wondering whether you know they actually take the model of somewhere else from you know a, a global movement somewhere else and and sort of try to replicate it in in Indonesia. But you know what you're saying is this is actually, as far as you can tell, quite a unique sort of tech savvy, youth savvy, um, revivalist movement that may be replicated elsewhere even. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be. I mean, there's nothing like this in Malaysia. And that's why I put a lot of emphasis on Bandung. I do think there's something about Bandung as a as a big student town with you know millions of students as a as an emerging tech hub, which it is. And it's also you know historically it's the it's the origin of um, really game changing uh, movements in the Muslim community. Mm. So so the the Salman Mosque at the Institute of Technology Bandung uh, was the centre of the kind of post, uh, the, the sort of revi- the youth revival of Islam during the Suharto period post the Iranian Revolution, and was written about by V. S. Naipaul in his in his sort of survey of the Muslim world at that time. So uh, there's a long history of this, and there's and there's new new elements that are all fusing together to make something I think that's unique to Indonesia. Right. So what do you think, you know, the popularity of Pamuda Hijra and their potential for the future, right? Um, 
What do you think this tells us about contemporary Indonesian Islam, and also about youth culture in Indonesia more broadly? I know that's a, you know that's a very broad question, right? But I guess like we've got this movement that's gaining prominence with millions of people and quite unique um, to well to Indonesia, but also to Bandung. Um, you know, what do you think this tells us about young people and Islam in Indonesia today? I think in broad strokes, what it is 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 part of a is part of a longer term trend of a transition away from the mainstream, the the, the large mainstream um, organisations that we've come to see as being the centre of Indonesian Islam, like Muhammadiyah, Nadatul Ulama. Uh, none of the preachers, none of the celebrity preachers that are associated with the Hijra movement. I don't, and I'd include the most popular one right now in this, uh, Ustad Abdul Somad. Uh, none of them are part, are a structural part of these big organisations, these legacy organisations, uh, you might say. And so that's a shift. That's a real shift in the centre of gravity of, of the Muslim uh, community. And I would also say what it's doing is it's, is it's I think that the kind of the movement and the community is in flux at the moment, but what's happening is a new kind of convergence we're seeing that's happening online, drawing people into alliance with each other in a way that I haven't seen before. So you talked a moment ago, you asked about how, how broad is this movement, and it's pretty broad. So, so what I've seen in recent months is a kind of uh, a networking in with the, the really sort of the mainstream, uh, you know, Hijra groups like Pamuda Hijra based in Bandung, uh, you know, connecting up with, say, Gemma Islamia and their, you know, the, this, this long, long-standing um, jihadist group, which now has an uh, online presence, of course, and has an online strategy and is all over, you know, Instagram and all the platforms, uh, you know, you need to be on these days. And, uh, you know, in a, in a kind of relatively covert way, of course, because they're, they're, um, they're an underground organisation, but if, if you know where to look, you can see the internet, perhaps because of the way the algorithms work and the way people network online, networking in a group like Gemma Islamia with really mainstream conservatives in Indonesian Islam, which I haven't, in a way that I haven't seen before, I would say. Do you see a danger here with groups like Pamuda Hijra being almost like, you know, a, a potential, you know, recruitment pool? almost mm. for more extreme organizations like um, Jama Islamiyah or some of the more sort of radical uh, militant groups. Yeah, the term that sometimes uses a, is a gateway organization. So I, I think, you know, it remains to be seen. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think the organizers, organizations themselves have to be careful about that. And I, I think it is a distinct possibility. Some of what I see now online reminds me a little bit of, of what we saw in the US around Trump and the alt-right and the way that um, certain internet platforms served to, to kind of normalize um, intolerant movements that had, had hitherto been really marginal, so like white nationalism. And there's, there's something like that going on right now in Indonesia, I think, mm. um, that's, that's uh, you know, in which, uh, you know, these, these jihadist-type um, parts of the movement are, are, are sort of, insinuating themselves into uh, what is a pretty broad-based mainstream um, youth revivalist movement. Yeah, and, and I guess um, 
you know, with the popularity of, you know, particularly preachers like Abdul Somad and, um, and also Hanan Ataki, um, you know, there's a huge potential of, of them being a political force in the, in the future. Mm. You know, I, I don't know if you see any of them eventually going into politics themselves, but certainly as a, as a mobilization tool, right? Like it has enormous potential there as well. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, that's, I think that's why Jokowi or, you know, his office used the Bermuda Hydra tag. Or hashtag, uh, I think that's that's why you know I've seen certain celebrity preachers they get they get messages from all both sides of the political spectrum, uh, you know, asking them to do this, to do that, to appear at this, to um, to lend their support. So yeah, I think it's a huge potential force. It's just that it hasn't settled yet, and 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 no one's been able to fully capture it. So I think that all remains to be seen. Quinton Tenby, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. We've certainly learned a lot, um, and thank you for the chat. Cheers. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Quinton Tenby, who is currently a research fellow at ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute in Singapore. Talking Indonesia will return on the 6th of December. Remember that you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog, subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode, or find us via your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Bye for now.